This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 93. Show notes for this episode can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and then clicking on episode 93. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. Hello, shameless moms. All right, so let's just dive right into our topic of panic and perspective, because I'm currently panicking about my audio on this episode. <laughs> so this is the, about the 737th thing I've had to panic about this week. We're just going to go with it. I'm hoping, assuming my lovely producer will be able to figure it out. I've been having all sorts of issues with my mic recently. And yeah, you know, this is just how life is right now. So I'm going with it because I have no other choice. And you know what? This is what I've learned in the last week or two. In the first 12 days of 2017, I've learned that nothing is as bad as it seems and nothing is as great as it seems. So that's kind of where we're going to start today. And we're going to talk about things I've been panicking about and some perspective on all that. Historically, I should note that I am a panicker by nature. I'm a worry wart by nature. I actually grew up with this philosophy that if I worried about something, it wouldn't ever happen. So I would literally lay in bed at night and think of what are all the things I need to worry about right now to make sure that they never actually happen. Because if I worry about them, they won't happen. It's the things that I forget to worry about. Those are the things that creep in and happen and take me by surprise. And I did not like that. So perhaps I was a little bit of a type A child and perhaps I'm a little bit of a type A adult. I actually don't spend time consciously worrying about things anymore. But it's interesting that I definitely can panic about things and I can go to a worst case scenario really, really quickly. And we will talk a little bit about that as I talk about some specific things happening in my life right now in a little bit. So what I wanted to talk about 
in relation to that is if you tend to be a panicker or a worry wart, how a shift in perspective can change that so dramatically. And this really hit home for me a few times recently because some things have happened this week that I will share with you momentarily. But I thought, you know what? If these things would have happened to me a couple years ago, I would have like lost my mind. I wouldn't have been able to cope with them. I would have been paralyzed by probably any one of them. I wouldn't have been able to sleep. Any of them could have been extremely consuming. And I do feel like I have been able to manage the curveballs thrown my way in a reasonable, positive way this week. And in addition, I feel like I've been able to kind of keep on living life in spite of chaos and in spite of unpredictability and also without just losing my perspective on like, you know what, life will go on and the world will keep spinning and the sun will rise tomorrow. And, you know, I have too many good things going on to let any one thing get me down. That said, some big things happened in the last week or so. So I'll give you a quick recap. This year started out with us finding out we have mold in our rental house. So we have a rental house a couple miles from our current house. It's the house that my husband bought when we were dating. And that's where we lived initially until about a year after we were married. And then when we bought our current house, we got renters for the original house. So now we have renters there. So a few years ago, had this little mold crisis and we went in, we had a bunch of work done. We had like part of the roof replaced. We took care of the whole thing. We knew with the timing when this house was built and some things that were done with it, we knew that there was some moisture issues. So taking care of this initially a few years ago was like, not a huge deal. And we felt like we caught it really fast and we went in and we made the fixes that we thought were like the long-term fixes for this problem. So we get an email a couple weeks ago that was like, yeah, so there's mold in the house and we had a mold company come out and do some testing and here's what they found. And it's a big problem at this point. And our renters didn't tell us that it was a big problem until they had had multiple health complications. Their animals are having health complications and they went and had this mold testing done. Mold testing, which we would have totally paid for and done as homeowners if we had known any of this was happening. So we get this email and we're like, what in the world? And why didn't they tell us? Because not only is their health compromised, the integrity of the house is compromised. Like it's a big freaking deal at this point. And now it's feeling like big and overwhelming. And, you know, we're first and foremost concerned with their health and the the health of the pets, but we're also concerned about like, what is this going to take to get rid of it? What is it going to take in terms of like construction? So this is how we kick off the new year with mold in the rental house. We have to get mold remediation to come in and, you know, take care of the existing mold spots. We have to get new ventilation in a couple different areas of the house. We have to have some construction done in multiple rooms of the house. We potentially have to get new windows in some of the rooms. We also have to have some work done on the attic. So there's like this cleanup and construction thing that is happening In the meantime, there's three renters in the house. Two of them are going to move out. So there's this whole another issue of like, what are we doing? Are we keeping one person in there? Do they want to take over the whole rent? Are we having finding new people? Like all this stuff. And when you are in this situation, like you want to fix it quickly because you have a mortgage to pay. And so we got to like get this needs to be done in a timely manner. So this is the first thing that happens. So we're dealing with this and like, hey, like kind of stressful, but like we're feeling like we can handle it. Okay. So that starts, we have a bunch of appointments set up for that this week in dealing with that. And my husband's like taking time off work to manage it and all this stuff. So in the middle of that, I go somewhere and my oil light comes on in the car. Okay. I'm saying oil light with air quotes because I thought it was my oil light because 
I'm not like the best at distinguishing between the lights on my car. So when a light comes on, I'm just like, oh, that must be the oil light. And I knew I was a little overdue for an oil change. So I was like, oh, I must be low on oil. So I keep driving the car for a couple more days. And also, by the way, you're not supposed to do that. So I call after driving the car for two days with the supposed oil light on, I call my car guy and I say, hey, my oil light came on and I think I need to bring the car in. And he's like, if the oil light came on, like, you might not have any oil. You shouldn't drive the car anywhere. And I'm like, oh, well, I've already driven the car for two days. And so he's like, okay. And the shop we go to is literally a half a block from our house. So at the end of our alley is this like little row of like shops and restaurants and bars and stuff. It's really cute. And so they're like right on the corner there. So I'm like, okay, all I have to do is get the car like up half a block and then it's right there at your shop. So I think I can drive it that far. He's like, okay, if like, if you want to take that risk, he's like, we don't recommend driving without oil though. I'm like, okay, I'm taking the risk. I understand the potential liability here. So I get in the car to take it up. The car won't start. So I'm like, oh my God, I've like burned out my engine because I don't have any oil. So I call AAA, AAA comes out and they're like, no, no, no. Like you didn't hurt your engine. You actually just have a dead battery. And I'm like, I swear to God with this car, I've replaced the battery multiple times. Like what is it with this car and batteries? So they get my battery charged up. I take the car up to the auto shop and I get it in there and they call me. So I leave the car there leave my key, whatever. They call me a few hours later and they're like, so we're not seeing the oil light on. And I'm like, you know, that little yellow light on the far left. He's like, yeah, well, we see your tire pressure light is on. So here I am. I've assumed that I have burned out my engine because I didn't have any oil in my car. And in reality, I have low tire pressure in one tire and I just need my battery charged. And actually, and I did end up replacing the battery because it was getting low. So I replaced the battery again, but I got a warranty on this one for five years for $6. I got a five-year warranty on my battery. So I'm panicking. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have this like multi-thousand dollar car bill on top of the stuff that's going on in the rental house. And then it turns out that like, it's not an oil light that went on. It's just tire pressure. No biggie. And I just need to replace the battery. So kind of cruise through that. In the middle of that, I've been thinking like, I feel like the dog has been drinking more water than normal, but maybe it's just my imagination. I feel like I'm filling her bowl more often than I used to, but I'm like, I'm not totally positive. Well, then the other night we're sitting downstairs in the basement and she pees on the floor right in front of us. And she's gone out to the bathroom like 20 minutes before. It was so weird. And she's never done anything like this. So I'm like, here we go. Like she's old. Here we go. It's the beginning of the end. Clearly her kidneys are not functioning. She's drinking all of this water. We actually had this with when my husband and I were dating with his cat Lloyd, who was like 13 years old. And we ended up having to do IV bags of fluids every day for him for three years because he had poor kidney function and kidney disease, which is very common in cats. So when our dog pees in front of us and felt it was clearly like so embarrassed and so ashamed, and she immediately sent herself to bed for the rest of the night after that happened, I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is it. Like here goes the dog. We're going to have to give her IVs every day. We're going to have all these vet bills and all this. So we schedule an appointment for the vet. I'm like, yeah, something's clearly wrong with her. So we schedule this appointment for, I don't even remember what day now, Tuesday or Wednesday. And uh, we get her all scheduled and I'm like, okay, like, can we be done now? We have the mold, we have the car, we have the dog. Like that's enough, right? Three things, things happen in threes. So the next day I'm about to go pick Vinny up from school and I have a call from an area code from where my mom lives, but I don't know who it is. And my mom lives in Spokane, Washington, which is also where I went to college. And periodically I went to Gonzaga. So periodically I'll get like fundraising calls from them and stuff. And so I'm like, well, it's not my mom because I have her number on my phone. It would have shown up as her name. 
So I'm like, it must just be a call from Gonzaga. They're doing fundraising. Like, I'll just check it later. So I did a couple more things. And then as I, as I was walking out the door to go get Vinny, I'm like, oh, I should check that voicemail really quick and just double check. So I checked the voicemail and it's my aunt. And she's like, Sarah, this is your aunt, Mary Beth. And I need you to give me a call when you have a minute. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. So when you get a call from a relative like that and a relative like I don't talk to my relatives on the phone, if we communicate, it's usually like via Facebook or something. So maybe one or two of my texts with but like, I don't have phone conversations with my aunts and uncles. And so I was like, this is super weird, not normal. She didn't say what she's calling about like, this is obviously bad. So I call her back and before I go to get Vinny. And so I'm like, Hey, it's Sarah. Is everything okay? She's like, everything is totally fine. Everyone's going to be just okay. So I'm like, Oh, obviously someone died and probably my mom, because why would she be calling me? So I'm like, my heart has stopped immediately sweating. She's like, so your mom has had a minor heart attack, but she's totally fine. And I'm like shaking immediately because with my mom living on the other side of the state from us, this is like my biggest fear is getting a call like this. And I have such a vivid memory of my mom getting the call about my grandmother passing away at about 1130 at night when I was a sophomore in high school. And so I've always thought like, someday I'm going to get that call. Like, what will that be like? And I remember like running into my mom's room, just knowing that like no one calls our house at 1130 at night. Something's wrong. Something happened to grandma. And it was unexpected when she passed away. Her health wasn't great, but she wasn't like in a really bad place either. So I was like, oh my gosh, like, here we go. It's the beginning of the end. So I start just 
completely panicking. My aunt is being like so calm. And my aunt had been there with her for a couple hours because my mom did not want her to call me. She did not want my sister or I to know. She's like, you know what? Let's just take care of this little heart attack thing. And I'll tell the girls later. So luckily my aunt decided that it would be valuable to share this information with us. So my aunt did call me and she's like, you know, she's totally fine. And actually she's very cranky and annoyed that she's even here. And so later I was able to talk to her and certainly she was cranky and annoyed that she was there. It was a very minor incident. She later had a little surgery to see what was going on and they were able to determine that she had this small blockage. And so they were able to put in a stent in the, during the surgery and make sure that everything was okay. And the interesting thing about this is my mom is one of five children and all of her siblings are five to 13 years younger than her, but she is by far the one in best health. And at Christmas time, I kept saying like how ironic it is. I didn't point that out to everyone because I didn't, you know, I was actually talking to some of her siblings at the time, but I said, isn't it ironic that she is now the age of my grandmother when my grandmother passed away? But it's like, there is no comparison between the two of them in terms of good health because my grandmother, I mean, also it wasn't on anyone's radar at that time. Like when you're in your mid seventies to be like exercising and eating really healthy. And this is completely on my mom's radar. Like she works out, she swims, she's active, she's very independent. She lives alone, she drives, she like, I mean, she's the person in the family that like if someone's sick, she's making them meals and taking them to them and all that. And so she's extremely healthy. She's very health conscious. She takes really good care of herself. So I was like, this can't be happening that the person who I was just like glorifying for having the best health in the family is the person who's in the hospital right now. So as it turns out, like her heart is in great shape. She had this one very small block. They were able to fix it. Everything else looks really good. So she's actually like better than she was before, but still it was such a scare to get that call. And in those moments when I didn't know what exactly the future would look like, I was just thinking of like immediately again, my panic was like, okay, so I'm going to have to move to Spokane for like a little while. And like, do I take Vinny with me? Do I leave him at home? Will I just work from there? Like all these things are going through my head. Cause I'm immediately thinking like worst case scenario. I'm like, my sister and I are going to have to go and like pack up her house and move her. Maybe do we move her to Seattle? Like all these things are just going through my head. So as it turns out, she like has the small surgery. She gets the stent put in. She's able to go home. She came home yesterday. She's doing great and everything is going to be just fine. So two days ago, I'm like so off on my days. So the day after I get the call from my mom, I take the dog to the vet. I'm at the vet with the dog while my mom is in the surgery that day. So they'd put her surgery off till the following day. So my mom is in surgery, getting her stent put in. I'm at the vet with the dog because I think like they're going to tell me that she's on her last leg and I get a call from my son's school <laughs> and I see the call come in. I mean, I think it's the school, but I'm not positive because they have like all these phone lines. So I can never figure out which one's the school and which one's not. But so I don't answer because I'm about to hear about how my dog is dying, I think. Then the school texts me and they're like, Vinny has a fever. You need to come get him. I'm like, of course, because I'm at the vet with my dying dog and my mother just had a heart attack and she's in surgery right now. So of course my son has a fever and I need to go to school and get him. So I tell the vet, I'm like, okay, not to hurry you, but I need to go pick up my son. He has a fever. Can you call me with the lab results? And so she luckily is immediately able to tell me a few things. And she's like, okay, we did some quick result stuff where I can tell you that like, certain things look really good. Like her kidney function is great. We're testing her for a UTI. Like, and I'm like, you know what, if she has a UTI, like we're fine. So it turns out she doesn't have a UTI. It turns out she also has great kidney function. It turns out she is the picture of health. She's just kind of thirsty. And I don't know why she needs to pee more often. Maybe she's just getting old. So everything's fine with the dog. So I get this mostly figured out. I had like some of this information didn't come till the next day, but it's mostly figured out that like the dog's going to be okay. My mom is going to be okay. 
I'm going to go pick up Vinny at school because he has this fever. So I get there. I pick him up. He comes home. He stays home from school the next day. And he gets up in the morning. He gets actually gets up during the night. And he has this like horrible barking cough. And I think, oh, my gosh, he has strep throat. So I take him to get a strep test first, a rapid strep test first thing the next morning. I'm like, we are going to get a rapid strep test. We're getting on antibiotics. Like, we are killing this right away. I'm not dealing with strep throat. So we go in and the doctor's like, you know, he doesn't have strep throat. He actually has flu strain A. So he's flu positive and this is what we need to do. So he's like, here's the medication that you need. Here's what this, that, and the other thing. Well, there's like a major flu outbreak in Seattle. So you can't get these medications. So I drive around town for three hours looking for medication for Finney. We finally get the medication. At this point, neither of us have had lunch. He doesn't care because he's sick and he's not hungry. I, in the meantime, eat a chocolate almond bar for lunch because I'm like, you know, this is the trade I'm making for this day. I'm sitting in Walgreens for an hour right now. And this is like multiple stops down the road trying to find the drugs that I needed. And so I'm like, you know what? We're having some chocolate for lunch today. This is it. And so I sat there and I ate half of this chocolate bar and I was like, I'm good. And I don't even care. So then we get home with our medication. Vinny lays down to rest on the couch. And as he's sleeping, I'm sitting on my laptop working next to him. And I hear his breathing just get like more and more labored. By five o'clock, he's like struggling to get air in. So I think, oh my gosh, we need to go back to the doctor. So I go back to the same urgent care place that I had been at nine o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, hey, we're back. And they bring him in and they're like, you know, his oxygen looks low. This could be a complication from the flu. This could be the beginning of pneumonia. You need to go straight to the emergency room. So we go straight to the emergency room. I call my husband. He comes to meet us over there and we go to the ER and they get him all hooked up over there. And I'm like, here we go. Like we're going to be hospitalized with pneumonia now because he does low oxygen. Like this is clearly a big deal. You could see his breathing was just so labored. You could see him really struggling to get air and you could hear every breath he was taking. So we get in there and we're waiting and waiting and they're doing some tests and they finally determine that he has croup instead of pneumonia. So again, crisis averted, like he's going to be okay. So at this point now, and then they say, you might have to stay overnight. We do these breathing treatments for croup. So we just have to see how he responds to the breathing treatments. And if he doesn't respond to the first one, we will have to keep him overnight. Luckily, he responds beautifully to the first treatment. We're able to leave. So we get home at like 1030 late last night and like all is well. So here's my panic and my perspective. All of these things are things that historically I would completely lose my mind over and completely freak out about because they're all freak out worthy things, right? We have mold in the house. We have the car falling apart. We have the dog potentially dying. We have my mom potentially dying. We have my son potentially hospitalized with pneumonia. These are like all big things. And it's funny, I was texting with someone about it and they were like, wow, like your week's been kind of crazy. I'm like, I know. But I kind of just felt like I was laughing my way through it. And I felt pretty even keeled, which is not generally my nature. And so I've been thinking through like, why have I been able to kind of keep my chin up through all this and feel like I can handle it? Like, it's okay. Even though I've been like scared and worried, it hasn't been like the end of the world for any of these things. I've had moments like heart stopping moments. Oh my gosh, like, holy cow, what are we going to do moments for sure? Because here's the thing, my tendency is to panic and also to assume the worst case scenario and then start planning for it, which isn't always a bad thing to do, but it can be a rough way to live. And I actually heard this great interview this morning on the radio and someone was talking about how right now, especially with our politics, that we're getting really comfortable like weaving doubt and fear into everything. And so we're just kind of naturally weaving it into all of our steps forward in life because we 
are feeling nervous about the new administration and feeling uncomfortable and like seeing things happen where we're like, wow, like, is this going to be compromised? Is this going to be taken away? Like, what are the ramifications of this, that, and the other thing? So it's a lot of scary things, a lot of unknown. And so, and then it's also being really hyped up by the news and also by social media. And so we are weaving fear and doubt into everything, into our lifestyle and into our attitude and our mentality. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is so true. And I was kind of stepping back proud of myself that I've been able to keep some good perspective this week because what I did do, you know, with my mom, I started thinking about like, wow, I'm going to have to move or I'm going to have to move her over here. Or with Vinny, I thought if he's hospitalized, like, how am I going to manage that? And also I'm totally paranoid. I'm going to get the flu bug that he has. And I'm not gonna be able to go to Washington DC at the end of the week where I'm supposed to be doing the women's March on Washington, which I would be so, so upset if I had to miss that with the house, you know, with the mold and the rental house, I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, it's going to cost us a million dollars and we're losing rent. We are probably going to have to empty the house out to take care of it. And then we'll lose multiple months of rent. And like, so you immediately go to this place where all these things start snowballing. That's my tendency. It's good to be aware of the potential of those things and to have like a backup plan or to be somewhat prepared. But also if you can keep moving then you can actually be proactive. And I just kind of felt like that's where I was this week. And then I actually had a call with a coach yesterday. I have a new coach this year, you guys. I'm working with Carrie Wilkerson, who I did interview a few months ago on that podcast. All I don't recall the episode number, but I will link to that in the show notes. So my interview with Carrie Wilkerson, which was one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done. She's such a phenomenal coach and just has amazing wisdom. So the coaching call that I had with her yesterday, she talked about not being paralyzed by emotion, but being in motion when you are starting to feel paralyzed by emotion. And I thought that was such a great perspective and definitely something that I've unconsciously been doing this week is just staying in motion. Like, okay, like if this is what's going on, what do I need to do? Like, just here we go. What are we going to do? So being in motion helps me feel on top of things and helps my perspective stay sane and reasonable because I feel like, okay, like if this is the hand I'm going to be dealt, this is how I'm going to react. And this is what I'm going to do. And here's how I can be on top of it. And that takes some time to get to that place of like, anything can be thrown my way and I'm good. I can handle it. I'm strong. I'm capable. Like I'm powerful. I will move forward. And it takes a lot of work. And I think that what I can attribute some of that to is the work that I've done in therapy this year and then the work, and I'm laughing because I broke up with my therapist recently, but I still had a great productive year in therapy and also working on mindset over the course of the year and like spending time reading personal development books constantly and taking notes on them and journaling about them. And these are things that I've spent just a few minutes a day on, but they've made such a big difference. And you guys have heard me talk before about like 10 minutes of reading in the morning, 10 minutes of journaling. And honestly, a lot of times the journaling is more like five minutes. It's like make one little bullet list of some notes in my head. But those little things make such a big difference. And so the truth when it comes to these big life crises facing you, the truth is that it will all be okay, that you are strong physically, mentally, emotionally, that you do have a great support network. So none of this has to feel like you're on your own because you have your partner, your friends, your family. You might have like a bigger network of, you know, coworkers. Or for me, I have like, you know, I post on Facebook that my son is sick. And like one of my gym members says, can I Amazon prime you, you know, anything you need to the emergency room if you have to stay overnight, like how generous and kind and thoughtful, but there's just people in your life who you wouldn't even think to ask for help for who would reach out to you and be supportive in your time of need. So keeping that in mind can be really, really comforting when you're going through these kinds of crazy things. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning. 
where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. The other thing is knowing that you are resourceful and being confident about like, you know what, if this happens, like I can figure it out. In fact, Marie Forleo has this great little quote that everything is figure outable. And so you will figure it out. Like even in the worst case scenario, you will figure it out. You will keep moving forward. You will stay in motion. Also knowing that you're adaptable. And I think that that's something that motherhood just makes us so much better at. And I think that's probably a huge reason that I am able to be, to respond more positively in all situations now is because motherhood makes you just be like, okay, got it. Like no matter what, like, okay, got it. I'm on it. Like Because so many things are thrown your way all the time that you don't plan for that you just kind of learn to be adaptable all the time. I will say that historically, not the most adaptable person. It can take me a minute, but it's something that I've consciously worked on. But then I also think that just part of motherhood is that you become more adaptable. Also recognizing that you are a fighter. I think that sometimes we don't identify that way. We don't think that like, you know, especially maybe someone who feels like they maybe have a little more of a quiet or timid personality. That doesn't mean that you're not a fighter and it doesn't mean that you're not powerful. It just means that you maybe aren't doing it in a loud way, but you can be just as strong, just as capable, just as powerful and just as resilient in a quiet way. So I can be like, powerful in a loud way, very comfortably, which is not everyone's style. But also I know that there's people who in very quiet ways can just manage everything. And that's not my style. I'm not a quiet person. But if you are a quiet person, know that you can be just as strong and as big of a fighter and as powerful of a fighter, even if you're doing it very quietly in your own potentially introverted way. The other thing is knowing that you are resilient and so is your family. And so with that comes, you know, with my mom, I thought she's over there in Spokane by herself. Do I go over there? And she kept saying, you know, her direct quote was, don't come now. I want you to come when we can have fun. So <laughs> like, don't come now, like come again another time, like when we can drink wine and play cards together and do fun things and bring Vinny and like, we can go to the park and go to the swimming pool and like all these things that she really enjoys doing. She's like, don't just come and sit and look at me when I can't do anything. And I was like, okay, that's a valid point. But I also felt really uncomfortable not being there. But I recognize that, you know what, my family's really resilient. And also my mom is such a great caretaker of her family members over in Spokane, that when there was a chance for them to take care of her, 
there was a freaking line at her hospital room door. I'm not even kidding you. She was like kicking people out because so many people wanted to help her and people, she came home from the hospital and multiple people brought food and flowers and a friend came to her house early and like turned the heat on for her and cleaned up a little bit because they're in Spokane and it's like three degrees there right now. So all these people were excited to be helpful for her. So like your family structure is resilient when they have the opportunity to like jump into line and be strong and helpful. They are there and they want to be there. And it might not be your family because different people have different situations with their family. But think about your network, whether it's friends, family, it might be not be blood family, but maybe chosen family. It might be your network of coworkers. But there's people in your life who like want to be those people who need to be needed in times of crisis. Also know that the truth is that you can learn from every challenge and that you will grow from every challenge. And so some part of the thing that I've been thinking about this week is that, you know, some things had to give. I don't know, you know, with my mom's health, I'm kind of still like, what do the next few weeks hold? What's going to happen with the rental house? It's like still unfolding, like what's going to be happening. So there's a few things that are on hold where I'm like, I don't really know what this is all going to look like, but I know that I'm learning as I go. Like I'm learning, okay, these are the things that I need to have in place for like, if something goes wrong with my mom. And these are the things that we need to have in place for, you know, making sure that if we have to do some stuff with the rental house, here's how we can like, stay comfortable with that situation and, you know, still be thriving as a family and not be really knocked over if we lose a few months of rent because we don't have renters or whatever. So that's also really important to know and to note that as you're going through a challenge that you're learning from everything that you're going through and therefore then you're going to grow. So at the end of it, you will be in a different place and you will have grown from it and you will have like these new tools in your back pocket, which can be really helpful. I also know for me, one of my truths is that I thrive in trauma. That might sound really weird, but I feel like I go to this place and maybe it's because I used to work in trauma in my past job at a psychiatric hospital, but I can have my freakouts for sure, but I can also go to like this very Zen place of like, you know what? It's all good. And here's like the three action steps we need to take right now. And let's just do them. And here we go. And who's in line and where do we start? And like, so I know that like, I wasn't freaking out yesterday when the doctor said, you know, Vinny's oxygen levels are low and you need to drive straight to the emergency room. And I feel like if someone would have told me about that situation that I would have been like, Oh my God, I would totally freak out. But I didn't freak out. I just was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I called my husband. I was like, we're going to the ER. I could hear him like breathing. And I just kept making sure that like he could communicate with me while we were driving so that I knew that like, if he could no longer communicate that I would pull over and call 911. But I just felt very calm in the whole thing. So I know that for me, one of my truths is that I function really well in traumatic situations. And I had a situation, I think I've talked about it before, where I was behind someone in the car, I was driving and the guy in the the driver in the car in front of me had a seizure. And I was like, brand new pregnant when this happened. And I like got out of my car in the middle of a major intersection and like stopped traffic. And like, when the whole thing was over, I was like, I don't even know what I did or how I did that. It was like, I wish I could have like had a bird's eye view of me stopping traffic on this very busy street and also being very aware of like, I'm newly pregnant. It took me two years to get pregnant. I'm not going to like risk my life for this, but I also think I can be helpful in this way and not have a lot of other people's lives endangered. And so I was really careful, but I also like was able to kind of choreograph this whole situation so that the only person that got hurt was the driver who I couldn't get to as he was going through this intersection. But I was able to like keep other cars away and he ended up being fine and safe. I didn't know that it would turn out that way, but he ended up crashing into a dumpster, which actually it all worked out. Like he was conscious and was able to be ambulanced to a hospital. And I didn't see the end result. I don't know what happened after that, but he was definitely very much alert and awake right after he crashed. So 
So I know what I do in trauma and that's, I think, really helpful. And I think that it's interesting to notice, like think about times when you've been in traumatic situations or dramatic situations in your family life or your personal life and just think of like, how do you respond and knowing what kind of a person you are? Because if you are someone who completely freaks out, then you might need to have someone there with you to be the person who stays like a little more calm and a little more like focused on what's going on. Because some people just emotions hit them differently. So my emotion doesn't hit me until after the fact sometimes. And then I'm a heavy processor, but it takes me a minute to get there. And then I process for like quite a while afterwards in long formats of like going for runs and writing and talking about it on the podcast or whatever, but I don't process in the moment and I don't tend to freak out in the moment. So when you're up against these challenges, when you're facing these challenges, I think that the biggest tips I have for you and the things that I'm keeping mindful and top of mind for myself is that when you have a challenge in front of you, be up for the challenge, like know that you can do it. So just really put that out and and embrace that really embrace that. Like I can do this. I can handle this. I got it. I'm on top of it. That doesn't mean don't ask for help because one of my tips in just a minute is going to be ask for help, but be ready to dig deep and be ready to hurt and stretch yourself in uncomfortable ways. So when we have situations, you know, my mom's situation could have gone so differently, completely differently than it did. It could have been a much more traumatic situation. And so I think it's good to be prepared for like, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I'm going to be here for it and I'm going to be in it and I'm going to stretch myself in new and uncomfortable ways. And that is a good thing. And I'm just going to stay in it and be present in it. There will be some self-sacrifice, but also like taking care of yourself in whatever ways that you need to, to get through that. And that can be asking for help. It can also be taking the time and the space that you need. And so in addition to being ready to hurt and maybe, you know, embrace emotional pain, if it's an emotionally challenging situation, so you're ready to embrace that pain or embrace hurt potentially, and also ready to stretch yourself in very uncomfortable ways, but then you're also taking the time and the space that you need. So one of the things that I did with this is in taking the time and the space that I need, I canceled for the first time in 13 years, I canceled kind of a big thing at the gym. And it was this upcoming program that we have. And I just said, you know what, I'm not doing this program right now. I'm not doing it. There's too many things that I just need to be really, really present for right now. And I can't be present to this whole other group of people. And I'm also not willing to offer something and offer, you know, I'm not willing to bring 40 people into the gym and give them a half-ass experience. And so this is for one of my transformation programs. And so I thought, you know what, instead of offering this program right now, I'm going to cancel the program, which I've never done in 14, 13 years. I'm going to cancel the program and I'm going to do the things I need to do right now for my family and make sure that I'm here for whatever needs to be done and make sure that I am as available as I need to be for things moving forward. So that was me taking the time and the space that I need professionally you know, the same thing, like this podcast, when I was at the ER last night, I was like, you know what, I might not be recording this week. And that's okay. I thought it'll be interesting. You know, I made it through all the holidays, I made it through all these other things where I thought, like, how am I going to navigate like not missing an episode? And then I thought, you know, if this is where I miss an episode, that's okay. It's okay. If you miss an episode, because you're at the emergency room with your kid. And so I was prepared for that. It didn't end up needing to happen. But I was ready for that if it did need to happen. Also asking for help, let someone make you a dinner eat from a vending machine if you need to eat that chocolate bar from Walgreens. But asking for help is really okay. And we've had a lot of people reach out to us um, asking if we needed anything once they knew we were at the ER last night. And so that's been really nice and really helpful as well. So just be okay with asking for help or just receiving help. Like if someone says, I want to bring you dinner, just say, okay, thank you. Don't say like, oh no, you don't have to. I'm totally fine. Like just be like, yes, please bring me the dinner. 
making concessions, like eat chocolate for lunch. It's okay. Don't do the laundry. Cancel the obligations that just don't need to happen right now. For me, I'm like, I'm not going to answer every damn email this week. Like that's just how it's going to be. And then lastly, when faced with a challenge, processing it, like be prepared to process however you process. So if talking helps talk, if writing helps write, if running helps run, do the things that you need to do to get through the challenge so that you can, and as you're working through the challenge, do these things, don't wait till the end, but as you're working through the challenge, do these things so that you can maintain that perspective and not go to that place of panic so that you can maintain a level of sanity and a level of level-headedness just as you work through it all to know that, because what happens, and especially with writing and talking and running is you're able to empty out the anxiety. You're able to like process the anxiety that is so bundled up in there. And then once you let that out, it creates some space for you to actually be productive. And so that's what is so helpful for me is like, I've still gotten my workouts in every day this week. Um, yesterday I did skip my run and I just did a little quick yoga series, but I still got in some movement because I know for me that really alleviates any anxiety that I have. And it helps me be way more productive in terms of looking at my day and like, how can I move forward today rather than waking up with anxiety and feeling really stuck? So that's really, really crucial for me. So back to where we started, nothing is as bad as it seems and nothing is as great as it seems. So this week, a lot of things I thought were going to be real, real bad. And pretty much all of them ended up being okay and a lot better. You know, my worst case scenario for any of them did not happen. On the flip side of that is nothing is as great as it seems. And so just like nothing is as bad as it seems, nothing is as great as it seems. So, you know, when you're looking at social media and you're looking at these like beautiful lives that everyone leads and everything was so happy and perfect and picturesque, it's never as great as it seems either. And so recognizing that like, just be aware that you don't ever have to be in either extreme. Like nothing is ever going to be the worst, the worst, the worst, and nothing's ever going to be the best, the best, the best. So like with all the great stuff, there's some downsides. And with all the bad stuff, there's an upside. Usually, oftentimes with bad stuff, the upside comes on the other end of it where you've had those moments to grow and challenge yourself and learn from them. And that might involve going through a lot of trauma and drama and processing, and it can be very painful, but you do get through it. And at the end, you can look at like, wow, look at how I've learned and grown through this. And I'm a different person because of that. That's not to say it's not really hard sometimes. It definitely is. But nothing is ever as bad as it seems and nothing is as great as it seems. So all of that is to say that it's all going to be okay. So as we move through this week and we move toward inauguration day and we move toward the women's march on Washington and any of you, if you're attending women's marches in any of your cities, I know there's so many of them. I would love to know. I would love to see your pictures. You can send me pictures if you want at uh, info at shamelessmom.com. But I will be posting lots of pictures over on Instagram at from the Women's March in DC, provided I don't get the flu. I swear to God, I'm going even if I have the flu. Like I will be on that plane with a mask. So I'm taking the red eye on Friday night to DC. So I get there in time for the march on early Saturday morning. But I'll be taking lots of pictures and posting them. So if you want to follow along on Instagram, that'll be over at the Shameless Mom Academy on Instagram. I'll try to get some stuff up on Facebook as well, but sometimes it takes me longer to get stuff over there. So Instagram would be the best place. Or if you want to connect with me personally on Facebook, I do put everything from Instagram immediately goes to my personal page, which is Sarah, S-A-R-A, Sutherland, S-U-T-H-E-R-L-A-N-D, Dean, D-E-A-N because I like to have a lot of names. It's such a pain. <laughs> so, But uh, if you want to follow me on Facebook, you can see stuff there as well. So that's what I have for you today. Have a great week. There are good things coming our way. There's a lot to be grateful for. There's a lot to look forward to. I'm blown away by what I see happening in terms of women connecting with other women, women wanting to be heard, wanting to be powerful. I'm just completely blown away. And so 
hopeful because of that and because of what I see women doing in the world right now. So keep doing those things and let's stick together as we do it and continue to work together and build each other up and hold each other up and lift each other up. And with that, I hope you have a fabulous day. Remember, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.